Homelessness is the sharp point of inequality. There's been so much revealed during the pandemic. Who has and hasn't, who can and can't be safe, who can't breathe and who cannot. What does it mean to be vulnerable? What does it mean to be on the margins? This week on The New Normal, guest host Kimberly Tull, the Director of Community and Learning Partnerships and Access Pathways at the University of Toronto Scarborough, talks to guests about vulnerable populations. COVID has had this dramatic impact because people are frightened to be in the shelters. Toronto used to be a city where people who were well off lived, you know, a block or whatever away from people who weren't. It, it uh-huh. used to be a very integrated city. This is Professor Janet Mason from the Monk School at U of T, who is also a board member and board chair of the Fred Victor Agency. Her work focuses on ending homelessness in Toronto. Decisions we're making that we don't think have anything to do with inequality and and homelessness and things like that really do. And it goes back to who these people are. They're just people. And, and, and as people become separated and they don't live in the same part of the city and then you have concentrated poverty and concentrated problems, it just builds on itself. And now you could see something like well, I don't want to go to that part of the city because there's lots of COVID there, right? Right. You know, so it just this sense of separateness of, of them not being like us. Don't demonize the homeless for being homeless. When I'm hearing you, the, the words coming to me is dignity. Yeah, yeah. Poverty is self-replicating. And, you know, people live in, you know, places where there's violence, there's no access to services, there's you know, no access to good employment. Uh-huh. Uh, it's not the decisions that they make. We know who goes to university. It's people whose parents have gone to university. I mean, there's lots of statistics on what on, on intergenerational mobility and what supports it and what doesn't. And it, and it doesn't have to do with decisions. And, and even if you look at the most vulnerable, the people who experience home, homelessness chronically, so many of those people, Kimberly, have suffered from abuse their whole life. They are traumatized. They've made amazing decisions to stay alive. That's such a powerful statement. I actually got goosebumps when you said it. And I think it's such a beautiful way of stating it because it's, it's against whose standards are we measuring this? Our sense of what makes someone a valuable human being, they have the same, you know, the same wants, the same needs, the same emotions. Uh, that that we all do and they create community and they crave community and uh, the same as we do and they are valuable because they give that back to other people around them. We're talking about people. We're talking about people, right? We're talking about human beings who, who mean something to someone. When we speak of homelessness, we often focus our attention to the downtown core. In places like Scarborough, we experience transit deserts. And during the pandemic, this has heightened issues around food insecurity and access to social services and supports, to name a few. This is just not a COVID problem, but a problem of historic underinvestment revealed and punctuated by the pandemic. I think it was like Duncan Andrade who says that hope is when moral outrage leads to action that causes change. This is Justin Roden. He's a third year student in the International Development Studies Cohort Specialist Program at the University of Toronto Scarborough. You know, oftentimes I think about, if you think about like food insecurity, right, or 
safe access to food, or you think about like the technological divide, like these are things that existed before the pandemic even happened, right? And then the pandemic comes in, which, you know, you constantly hear this, this like discourse of we're all in this together. Like, I don't know who we and all is, but like, I, we're definitely not all this <laughs> together, you know? Like, this context just exacerbates all of that, right? Or if you think about like, the, like you think about like food vaccines, Scarborough, for example, how when the, when the pandemic came, like a lot of them had to close. And it's like, you have a lot of low income communities that rely on like food and like food is not something, it's not like, it's like, like a choice or something. It's not a choice. It's like, you need it, like you need it to survive. And I recall like working with Taibu, I worked with the Learn program, which is, it's targeted as helping like black youth with achieving academic success. And just like being in that program, I engaged with a lot of like youth and like their parents, for example, who would talk about like the experiences. I'll talk to parents, you know, and like oftentimes they say stuff like they don't know like about like where they're gonna pay the bills, you know, like these, these type of things coming, like these stressors, you know, and you can see that they're overwhelmed it just kind of shows you how like vulnerable a lot of populations were already like made before the pandemic right this is why i appreciate the name of this podcast being the new normal because um i was in a session the other day and we were talking about what is like people are saying i can't wait to get back to things being normal well for a lot of folks what you just discussed that's what normal looked like yeah right and that's not right we're all in the, we're all facing a pandemic, but it's like, we're not all coming from the same positions. Like we have like these different um, intersections of, you know, like like the rate of our race. You know, for example, me as like a, like a black person, like a black man, right? You know, I come from this unique position, but I'm also a student, a student at the University of Toronto. So it's like, I hold like some type of privilege, but I'm also not equal. But then you think about like other people who like, for example, don't share like this type of privilege, don't share my positionality. I've actually read a lot of articles. I wrote a paper about this in one of my classes recently about like domestic violence against black women in the context of the pandemic. Domestic violence was already an issue. And even just like months within the pandemic, you know, a lot of people were expressing their concerns, especially like professionals working in, in like violence against women centers, for example, in those shelters, you know, and they voiced their concerns that like, uh, like for example, like the physical distancing measures or like the framework that the government used is exacerbating like some of the conditions that like um, that are, that are that people are facing, right? Like different people are still experiencing like different types of violences, you know, from from a whole lot of structures that are one COVID related, but then also just like not COVID related because these are ongoing systems and ongoing structures. Like for example, I know it wasn't until like the summer that they had, uh, I think like health like health professionals were saying that they need to have like race based data, right? So That's all right. so all along this is not a thing, and we know we know for example like every time you turn on the TV and you hear like Doug Ford like gives his briefings you know like the evidence is there like the evidence this the evidence is that and we know when they're talking about the evidence like they're referring to like the data and it's like if you're not even collecting data about like black people for example then you you know essentially that you could kind of just like absolve yourself of the responsibility that you know that people are facing like very different circumstances. The pandemic has shown us who we are. It has shone a light on a systemic and structural oppression that has been designed to harm those furthest on the margins of this country. I hope we don't go back to normal. The new normal needs for us as a society to own these inequities and be accountable to each other and how we care for one another and how we collectively dismantle the systems and structures that support and enable these oppressions. One thing that made me hopeful, it was when I started to work more closely with the homelessness sector uh, through uh, Fred Victor, organizations like that, we need to see positive outcomes at the individual level. You can get overwhelmed by statistics, but one way to become hopeful is to work more closely and directly with people and see uh, the hope that people have and 
the support that other people give them, and, and it actually makes you more hopeful. I think a lot about um, like Barry's like articulation of hope. I find hope in the fact that people organize and mobilize for the sake of like justice, no matter how co-opted that might be in your head, there is hope in the fact that people will mobilize, and that people will organize. And I also find a hope like within communities, like local and like global communities, for example, right? But then I also see hope in this moment because we could, it's something for us, for us to all like, like reflect on and to keep reflecting on like even while it continues to kind of think of like how exactly do we build better futures for ourselves. I am Madian Andrade. This is the new normal.